0: Hello and welcome to this week's show of Who Cares What's The Point? The podcast about the mind for people who think. Now in this week's show we're talking about worrying. Now worrying is an emotional experience that is often associated with repetitive unpleasant thoughts about the future. And although we know worrying is linked to depressed mood, poor physical health and even mental illness when you have severe impacts of worrying. Worrying also has an upside. I'm talking with Associate Professor Kate Sweeney at the University of California at Riverside and her research about the upsides of worrying. Have a listen to our conversation and see what you think. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining us today. Um, Worrying. Um, maybe you can start off with telling us how you got interested in this idea of worrying in the first place.
1: Sure. So thanks so much for having me first. Uh, To some degree, this is a case of research as me search. I listened actually back to a few of your old episodes. At least one other person has mentioned this concept. And it's another case of this. Uh, I am a worrier myself. So um, I'm sort of endlessly fascinated by um, my own mind, I guess. And in this case, how Worry might benefit me, why we worry, when we worry. Um, and when I meet people who say that they don't worry so much, how in the world they manage it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And worrying normally gets a bad rap, right? Worrying is normally seen as um, understandably something that can lead to quite harmful uh, or negative consequences.
1: That's right. And uh, it's bad rap is not entirely undeserved. Worrying at extreme levels, at least, does have some pretty negative consequences. Uh, It makes people irritable. It makes it difficult to concentrate. uh, It can lead to depression. And and certainly it's a component of anxiety disorders as well. So I don't mean to say that worry is all good. uh, But I do think that it has a very important function. And if we ignore that, we may do so at our peril. So maybe we can start off
0: by defining what you mean by worrying, because it kind of captures and goes across a whole broad spectrum of uh, thoughts and feelings. So what do you mean when you talk about worrying?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. So it is a combination of thoughts and feelings. Uh, Anxiety is typically the dominant feeling part of it, the sort of emotional component of worry. Uh, And the, the cognitive or kind of thinking part of it typically involves repetitive, persistent thoughts. So there's something you're worrying about, and it's very hard to stop thinking about it. So worry isn't just an emotion, it is this kind of combination of anxiety and repetitive thinking.
0: And one of the things that you talk about in the paper is the difference between worrying and rumination. So maybe talking a little bit about that will help to clear that up for some listeners.
1: Sure. In some ways, that distinction is very simple in that rumination is backward looking and worry tends to be forward looking. Uh, we can certainly feel anxious and we can ruminate about things that we've done or said in the past or that have happened to us. But we would typically, again, refer to that as, as rumination, uh, whereas when we talk about things in the future that we're concerned about, that's really where worry comes in.
0: And worrying, like you say, it um, can have this anxious and thinking component to it too. And as well as leading to us perhaps feeling bad, it can actually get in the way of us doing things and performing well too, right?
1: That's right. Uh, exactly as you said, if it sort of becomes overwhelming or paralyzing or overly persistent, so worry is arising you know, in all occasions, regardless of whether there's truly something to worry about, then it can become a real distraction. It can make it difficult to concentrate, as I mentioned, uh, and therefore inevitably interfere with all kinds of performance.
0: And the... The weird thing about worrying is that uh, often we have strategies that we might develop around how it is that we might try and limit that or stopping stop that. But um the funny thing about worrying is that if you try to stop worrying, it can actually backfire and rebound on you.
1: I totally agree. This is a classic case where kind of thought suppression is not particularly effective. The less you know the more you try not to think about something, the more it tends to come up in your mind. Uh, and so right if you're worrying about something there might be a good reason for it your mind is perhaps trying to tell you something Uh, and so I think sort of just trying not to worry is not very effective it's why I think people find it so profoundly irritating when other people say oh just stop worrying what are you so worried about as if it were that easy to simply stop
0: yeah I've certainly fall into that trap myself Uh, sometimes when I'm doing uh, talks I do the uh, an adaptation of what Dan Wegner has done. And I asked people to think about the uh, little cute white little bear that's uh, maybe standing next to me. And I asked them to think intensely about it. And then I ask them not to think about it and deliberately not to think about it and then raise their hand every time they do think about it. And it, you just see the sea of hands flying up for the next minute every time they think about it, because I've told them not to think about it. So Worrying um, also has a Another side to it. Uh, And you talk about that in your paper and you split that up into two categories. So maybe we can tackle those one at a time.
1: Yes, exactly right. So there are two kind of big categories of ways in which I think worry benefits us. The first, probably more important than the second, but I think they'll both be familiar to most listeners. Uh, The first is that worry is motivating. So this is, I think, really where worries function comes into play, uh, why we maybe even as a species developed this really annoying tendency to worry. Um, and that is the, you know very often, if we're worried, there is something to be worried about. It is kind of a red flag for us to pay attention to uh, and think about whether there's some sort of outcome that we should be uh, trying to prevent or at least prepare for. So a lot of this work has been done in the domain of health, where we may have some control over our health outcomes by, for example, engaging in preventive behavior or undergoing screenings or any number of other kinds of good health behaviors, and it turns out that people who worry about future health outcomes, like for example, getting in a car accident, getting skin cancer, uh, that those are exactly the sorts of people who tend to try to prevent those outcomes by wearing seatbelts, by um, wearing uh, sunscreen. If you're worried about getting breast cancer, you might be more likely to get a mammogram. If you're worried about some nagging health symptom, you might be more likely to go to the doctor and get it checked out. So. This, uh, in this way, worry can actually truly save our lives. Now, again, if it's uh, unmanageable, high, persistent levels of worry, we do find or people find that uh, that can actually interfere with our ability to kind of even engage enough with that health issue to do something about it. But at a kind of normal, manageable level, worry is really useful for motivating these kinds of uh, preventive behaviors. So that's one one big category. And I can talk a little bit at some point here about ways in which uh, worry might even benefit us when there's really nothing we can do to prevent the outcome. But leaving that aside for the moment, the other big benefit of worry is is actually that it is so unpleasant that uh, its, its absence or it being over creates kind of a, a lovely emotional uh, contrast. So a lot of my work looks at people waiting for news of some sort. So whether they passed an exam, whether they have a disease, that sort of thing. Uh, and we find that people who worry more about that outcome as they wait actually feel better, even if the news is bad, and they feel especially fantastic if the news is good, because at least they don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs>
0: Yeah, sure. So there's those two two sides. Let's let's, uh, focus on the first one, this idea of uh, worry as a motivator, just to kick off. Um, You talked about it, um, you know, there possibly is this uh, curve here where you could be worrying too little and it's not much of a motivator or you could be worrying too much and it actually feels quite overwhelming. uh, And then as a result, people don't do anything about that. So there is, you talk about almost like this sweet spot uh, where uh, you have this moderate amount of worry that seems to be associated with uh, taking action or preventative health behavior, as you mentioned.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. I, you know, hopefully not everyone can relate to this, but I can certainly think of times when I've uh, been so kind of overwhelmed with worry or some sort of anxiety or emotion about something that I just couldn't even engage with it. And if you get to that point, then you know, going to the doctor suddenly becomes an absolutely terrifying endeavor, I, I can think of a friend of the family who was so scared of breast cancer that she wouldn't get mammograms, which seems completely contradictory. But in fact, she was so terrified about it that any, any thought uh, on that topic would just kind of paralyze her. And so she just would do nothing. Uh, then on the other side, if you are just you know living in complete confidence that you'll live forever and that nothing will ever befall you, that certainly can also be problematic, because why would you bother to kind of go through the effort of taking uh taking care of yourself engaging in preventive health behaviors if you feel like there's no there's no reason to there's nothing to worry about
0: sure so you need to be worried enough for 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 it to cause you to take some action in the first place, but not too overwhelming such that you stick your head in the sand about it. Um, I was wondering when I was reading your paper, the social aspects of this. So when people worry, um, clearly they, uh, if they're in that little sweet spot, they can go and talk to uh, a health professional or present for screening, as you say. Um, what evidence is there around um, how people share their worries uh, and what impact that has upon their subsequent behaviour?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, so I think anecdotal evidence at least suggests that when we're worried about something, we do talk a lot about it, maybe incessantly in some cases, you know, this, this, uh, repetitive thought aspect of worry, I think for many of us makes us also repetitively talk about our worries. Uh, and, and so in terms of how that kind of affects our future behavior, I don't have a great answer to that. I would say that it, um, It is a challenging social support moment when you're dealing with someone who's incredibly worried about something, particularly something they can't do anything about. I can say from both my research and my life that When you're talking to someone who's just kind of, um, you know, spinning their wheels, just worrying and worrying about something they can't do anything about, that it's difficult to know how to help them. You know, do you tell them not to worry? We've already established that's not very helpful and kind of annoying. Uh, Or do you, you know, try to kind of go there with them and, and worry with them? That often probably also seems sort of enabling in a terrible way. So I think these interpersonal issues are really interesting you know how best to utilize that interpersonal aspect to motivate good behavior i'm not i'm less sure about honestly
0: yeah i, I guess i was thinking about the the uh, saying you know a problem shared is a problem halved and i was thinking sure that might be um Great for the the person who's worrying, but for the person who perhaps is receiving, it may not be that great, particularly um, as it may actually result in the worrier becoming more isolated. Because if they're constantly worrying and, as you say, constantly talking about it because these thoughts are constantly in their head and that's how they manage it, they may end up actually isolating themselves because people are avoiding them because they don't want to hear about this and then they have less room to actually process and perhaps find it quite overwhelming and so are less able to take advantage of the positive aspects here.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. As I said, I think this is a very difficult kind of uh, social support moment. And
0: uh, do I have you back? Uh, Yeah, sorry, we (laughs) lost you there for a second. Yeah, you were saying it's a very important social support moment.
1: Well, let's try it again. Hopefully that'll stick. So, so I I do think this is a very difficult social support moment, as I mentioned, because uh, I think, you know, often your support providers don't quite know how to help you when you're again, spinning your wheels. Um, And, you know, they may try and try, but eventually those people may just kind of wander off, stop answering your texts and phone calls. And as you said, then it, you know, kind of isolates the person within their worry. I don't always know that that's such a bad thing. I mean, I think sometimes we uh, we sort of use our, our friends and our family to just allow us to kind of verbally ruminate about things and that maybe just not talking about it could be the best thing if we are overdoing our worry. Um, but, you know, certainly we also know the social support is helpful. So if you, if you isolate yourself, that's probably going to put you in a bit of a bad state. Yeah,
0: it's interesting because uh, often in clinical work, what I've done when I've worked with people for whom worrying is a bit of an issue, often what I'll do is almost prescribe a worry diary where people are allowed 15 minutes to write down all their worries. But then after that, the deal is that they move on and and do something else instead. So it's actually capturing and um, uh, enabling them to put a little box around the worries and not let it leak out into everything so that they can actually, you know, perhaps get the the benefit of worrying in terms of, yes, it's bringing that my, my attention to these things that I should be paying attention to, but in, I can be released from that too, and that social aspect of it, perhaps as you say, might perpetuate uh, the thought process somewhat.
1: That's right. I've I've heard about that clinical technique. I, you know, I've always thought for myself that my worry is more powerful than any psychological box I might try to put it into. But I know that it does really help some people, and uh, and so it does seem like that is a nice balance of kind of getting the benefit of those worries, being able to at least engage with the worry enough to know if it's you know trying to tell you something essentially if there is something you could be doing while not letting it completely overwhelm you and kind of take away from your enjoyment of the rest of your life you
0: talked a little bit about control and thinking about um high levels of worry um being uh, good at motivating behavior but control is related to this as well can you talk a bit more about that
1: Absolutely. So uh, in some cases where you do have control over your outcomes, so or at least some degree of control, there's something you can be doing to, to ensure a better outcome. Then I think worry is, is particularly at its best. It really allows us to be motivated to take those actions that allow us to control our future. Uh, but one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about, or one experience that I spend a lot of time thinking about, is when we're waiting for some kind of news and there's really nothing we can do. So for example, I've studied uh, law graduates, people, graduates of law school waiting to find out if they pass the bar exam in California. I've looked at women undergoing breast biopsies, uh, You know, at which point what's done is done uh, at, that, at that stage. And so in these sorts of circumstances and many others that I've studied, you may not be able to do anything at all about your outcome. You're just waiting. You're just kind of paralyzed in that moment, which is a really stressful experience in part because we don't have control. But I think even then worry can be useful for a few different things, one of which is that it might uh, prompt us to at least think about how we can buffer ourselves from the blow of bad news by kind of putting our life in order to respond most effectively to it. So if you're worried you're going to get some sort of dire health news, you might check into your insurance coverage, look into your work's leave policies, see if your children might have a ride to school if you need to get treatment, that sort of thing. And I think taking a little bit of that control back, letting worry kind of motivate you to at least prepare can be incredibly reassuring in a moment that is otherwise pretty terrifying.
0: So this is related to the idea of pragmatic prospection, I think you talk about in the paper. So this is about thinking about the future in ways that will guide you practically and enable you to take action practically, even though this is an uncertain situation, and it's provoking anxiety and all kinds of thoughts for you.
1: Yeah that's exactly right. I think again worry really is doing its best job when it when it motivates some kind of productive behavior and although it may be hard, you know, when I look at um, the experiences of for example people waiting for their bar exam results, it might be hard for for people in that situation to really feel like they have any control over their outcomes. But when I look at the kinds of things that they tell us in our surveys, they are sort of thinking about ways they can control their future by doing things like looking up the next bar exam date, uh, you know, sort of uh, talking to the job, to the, um, their employer about what the options would be if, in fact, they fail the bar exam on this round, kind of figuring out plan B options. So I think that right, those productive future-oriented behaviors really are the best outcome of worry, uh, you know, which is otherwise a fairly unpleasant experience.
0: Do you know if there's much of a link between uh, the frequency of these kind of worrying behaviors and the personality characteristic that's kind of defined as conscientiousness? Um, do you know if there's much of a link there?
1: You know, it's a great question, and you're not the first one to ask me that, and I yet have not <laughs> gone and, and looked into it. You know, in my research, at least, we do often measure conscientiousness, uh, and the the link between conscientiousness and things like worry is a bit mixed. So, if, for example, we're looking at some sort of performance outcome, so again, back to the bar exam, we see that people who are conscientious do tend to be a bit more optimistic about their outcomes, and, and rightly so. I mean, these are almost certainly the people who also you know, have studied more, were more prepared, and probably did better on the exam. Uh, but we also sometimes see that conscientious people worry more, even if they are otherwise fairly optimistic correctly about their outcomes. So uh, it, there may be some kind of constellation of, of traits that are kind of hovering around conscientiousness that make us both well prepared and therefore somewhat optimistic, but also, you know, prepared for the worst in some ways and therefore worried. I haven't quite sorted it out yet.
0: Yeah, that sounds like me. I haven't quite sorted that out yet either.
1: (laughs) Same same here. It's a personal endeavor as well as a research one. (laughs)
0: Um, I was interested just uh, as a final thought around uh, this this kind of concept of worry, this aspect of worry as a motivator, is this distinction that you make between um, perceived risk uh, this kind of more cognitive thinking aspect of of worry uh, and the affective, the emotional worry um, and the evidence that you say seems to point to worry as more of an affective target rather than the emotion. Could you talk a little bit more about this idea between worry and perceived risk and how they differ?
1: Absolutely. So perceived risk is a favorite variable in, uh, in health psychology and in terms of predicting how people will behave. So many models of health behavior include something like perceived risk or, or perceived susceptibility to whatever the outcome is. So if we perceive ourselves to be at greater risk of of skin cancer, we will be more likely to engage in preventative action around skin cancer, for example. Um, and so that's been you know, discussed ad nauseum in that field, but it's really been more recently, at least in the last few decades, that people have started wondering if there's something even more powerful than just this slightly dry perception of risk. And that does seem to be worry. So you could imagine that although risk, perceiving high risk and worry might be connected, but they're not perfectly connected. You could be someone who recognizes, kind of like we were just talking about with conscientiousness, recognizes that your risk is fairly low and nonetheless worries about what little risk you perceive. Or someone who recognizes that their risk is very high, but just for whatever reason isn't a warrior. And it seems to be the case that when those are disconnected, worry is actually a more powerful predictor of behavior. It has that nice motivating emotional component that that uh, kind of cognitive dry perception of risk does not, or does not quite as much as worry.
0: You know, what I've... um really reflecting on that when I was reading your paper and thinking about how we could use that in uh, disaster management and disaster risk uh, reduction uh, and actually targeting wor- targeting worry rather than uh, risk communication and perceived risk, I think might help us move forward a little bit in that field too. So um, thank you for that. That was an interesting thought. The other aspect of worry that you uh, have outlined in your paper is this worry as a buffer uh, and how it can directly benefit uh, your emotional state by almost marking uh, a low tide mark in in your emotional life. Can you talk a little bit more about um, the concept here?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So I I think I sort of alluded to this earlier that worry is actually, for most of us, so unpleasant that anything other than worry is going to be a nice comparison or a nice contrast in comparison. Uh, And so just as as an example of this from my research, um, as I've now mentioned several times, we often study law graduates waiting for bar exam results. We see that those uh, law graduates who report high levels of worry and distress during the waiting period uh, while they're waiting for those results, actually report being kind of less shattered by bad news and extra elated by good news. So there does seem to be this kind of emotional contrast, um, exactly as you described, where anything that isn't worry feels fairly good in comparison.
0: So there is some truth in that saying: prepare for the worst and hope for the best, perhaps.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And in fact, this is um, very related to work that I've, I've done throughout my career, but particularly earlier in my career on the idea of bracing for the worst, which is more the uh, pessimism focused side of it rather than the worry focused side of it. Uh, but what we find essentially very consistently is that expecting the worst and particularly the timing is crucial. So particularly expecting the worst in the final moments before you learn some news is really the wisest thing to do. You You do get this Benefit of getting um, kind of a a positive surprise if things go well, and a little bit less of a negative surprise if things go poorly. And you know, expecting the worst does not make bad news not feel bad, but it doesn't feel quite as bad if you see it coming. A lot of our research seems to suggest.
0: Sure. One of the things that you highlight is that there may be a group of people who are constantly expecting bad news. Um, Perhaps people with uh, generalized anxiety disorder may be a bit of a special case here. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
1: That's right. And I'll say just sort of to be um, transparent that I am not a clinician and I have no training in clinical psychology. So my understanding of generalized anxiety disorder really just comes from my reading about things like worry. Um, But as I understand it, people who have generalized anxiety disorder do tend to report quite high levels of worry, higher than the average person, and that they also seem to feel that worry uh, really helps them, uh, everyone can, re- well, not everyone, but people tend to be able to report that worry might be beneficial, but people with GAD seem especially kind of attached to their worry. And in fact, they seem to also report that worry helps prepare them for, or helps to prepare them when they do in fact face some kind of unpleasant outcome. So, uh, you know, I, I think that clinicians are maybe a bit skeptical as to whether their worry is as helpful as they think it is, but, uh, but nonetheless, that that's certainly the subjective perception of the sufferers of that uh, particular illness.
0: So it seems to be that people who do worry excessively, whether they have a clinical label or not, seem to be somewhat sensitive to um, unexpected bad news. So they use worry as a way to almost avoid the ups and downs of life and have that happen when they're not expecting it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think you articulated that far better than I could have. Uh, And I I can relate to that a bit as well. I don't have a a clinical diagnosis of anxiety, uh, lucky me, but I do certainly find myself a little sensitive to those ups and downs. And I think for that reason, maybe I have have clung to my worry as a a buffer um, throughout my life to kind of prepare me for the worst.
0: So Kate, it's been an interesting conversation and I'd like to move on to the kind of the nub of this, uh, which is uh, who should care about the idea that worry may have upsides? What's what's the point of, of, of understanding worry in this way?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's always something we should be uh, asking of our own research. Even basic researchers should know why it matters. Uh, And I think that there's a few uh, ways in which people can benefit from understanding worry a bit better. Uh, One is something we touched on earlier, and that is people who are supporting someone else who is worrying. So, um, you know, to loop back to other things we discussed, uh, it does seem to be that telling people not to worry, just to stop worrying, to calm down is about the worst thing you can do to someone who's worrying. And so maybe it is the case that if, if uh, you know, this information about worries upsides kind of gets out there into the world, that perhaps fewer people will make that mistake if they recognize, hey, this person's worry might actually be doing them some favors. Maybe I don't tell them to stop worrying, but instead try to help them harness that worry in a positive way. So I think it could empower people who are engaging in, in various kinds of social support. But I, I also have found for myself and a lot of the people I've talked to about this research that it seems just directly comforting to know that, in fact, your worry is useful instead of, um, as as one person put it to me, worrying too much about your worry. You know, if you feel that that worry has no benefits, it may just compound the anxiety uh, to feel like you're you're sort of doing it wrong, that you're worrying too much. And so understanding that worry can be useful and knowing how to harness it to improve your life, I think can only benefit people.
0: I think you're right that we can get caught up in a loop sometimes about worrying, whether our worrying is worrisome um, and we can end up in a, a huge hall of mirrors. And that's not to uh, uh, deny that worrying can be a real big uh, crippling factor in people's lives. But also, as you say, there's a there's a usefulness there as well. Um We were thinking about, I was looking at your paper and you talked a little bit about how mindfulness may allow people to uh, hook into those benefits of worry a little bit uh, better. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about your speculation around that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have a paper coming out just hopefully within the next few months. Uh, in which we uh, have looked at mindfulness both at the trait level, I say a bit tentatively, what I really mean is uh, measuring the extent to which people generally find themselves in a mindful kind of state of mind, and also uh, at an intervention level, so having people engage in mindfulness meditation, uh, that both of those aspects of mindfulness seem to be somewhat helpful when we are feeling uncertain, when we're kind of in a worried state of mind. Uh, and when I say helpful, what I mean there is that people report that they are coping better with uncertainty when they're mindful or engaging in mindfulness, but they don't actually necessarily report much lower levels of worry. It seems to be more that, you know, mindfulness has this characteristic of sort of observing your um Your emotions and your reactions without judgment is often how it's put. And so it seems that people who are mindful can recognize that they're worried and not uh, spiral out of control and and get kind of overwhelmed by it while they're feeling uncertain. So uh, that's the evidence we have. I suspect then that it might be the case that mindfulness could be uniquely suited to allowing us to kind of worry productively without letting it get the better of us and therefore perhaps also get the benefits of worry on kind of the back end in letting it prepare us for bad news if that bad news arrives.
0: So that dispassionate observing connection with our experience of worrying both at a thinking level and noticing the thoughts, but also perhaps the emotions that it's uh, it's arousing for us can perhaps enable us to understand a little bit more and ask questions around what is this worrying about?
1: Yes, so it seems. I mean, that's certainly my personal experience of, of mindfulness and meditation, and our data seem to bear that out. Um, you know, certainly more work needs to be done to figure out exactly how mindfulness is kind of behaving during these moments of uncertainty, but my sense is exactly that, that we that it does not um, kind of suppress our worry as much as it allows us to face it more productively and not let it take us over.
0: And that's us for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast. Do please share it around on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram even, if you do enjoy the podcast. And please let other people know about it in your personal networks too. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWTP or myself, Saab Johal, your host and producer, at Saab. You can email me, contact at whocareswhottsthepoint.com, all come to my website, sabjohell.com. who cares what's the point.com, too. Until next week, or actually next fortnight, thanks for listening, and don't forget
1: Who cares what's the point?